Well, good morning, Covenant. It's a joy and a privilege to be able to open up God's Word with you this morning. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Ian, and I serve as the Director of Children and Youth Ministries here at Covenant. Um, and before we get too far in, I do just want to recognize uh, and thank the middle school and high school students who are serving this morning, as well as all those who are part of our body. They are a gift to our congregation, and I'm deeply grateful for them, and I hope you are too. This summer, we've been preaching through the Psalms of Ascent, and these are the Psalms that are found in Psalm 120 through 134. And the people of Israel used these songs in their worship as they went up to Jerusalem for the yearly festivals, things like Passover and Pentecost and the Feast of Booths. These were songs for the road, and they gave them language to worship God in a whole host of different life experiences. Things like suffering, joy, opposition, and trials. And throughout this summer, it's been a gift for us to find that these songs can provide language for worship, not just for Israel, but also for you and I, as we seek to worship God in the many different places that we find ourselves. And so let's open today to our psalm. We're going to be in Psalm 124. You can turn there in your Bibles, or you can find it in our order of worship. Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you speak to us in your word. We thank you that your word is truth, and we ask now that you would give us hearts that are ready to hear from you, hearts that are unencumbered by anything, undistracted by anything, that we would hear from you in this, in this passage this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm not sure how it is that you or your family made it to the United States. Maybe you or your parents immigrated here, or maybe you can trace your lineage all the way back to the pilgrims. Either way, for me and my family, I've never really understood these details. They've always been a little bit fuzzy. Because our history is not so old that it's historic, and it's not so recent that it's memorable. So uh, I was really excited this summer when my grandma, who's 90 years old, found an old document that the great-grandmother on my grandfather's side had written. And she put this together detailing some of the family history that she remembered. And my dad sent this document to my siblings and I, and as I read it, I was floored by this one paragraph. I, I want to read it for you. She wrote this. In September of 1850, Martin Troll emigrated with his parents to this country from Germany. They embarked at Havre de Grace in France, 
taking a three-masked sailor called the Arcadia. It was a very stormy voyage. After four weeks of sailing, they had such a terrible storm that the ship lost all three masts. Signals of distress were given, and in another three weeks, they landed on the island of St. Thomas, Danish West Indies, near Cuba. After 42 days, they were able to set sail again. Two weeks later, they landed in New Orleans toward the end of December. The trip from France to New Orleans lasted 150 days. I was stunned when I read this the first time because I was struck with this sense that we almost didn't make it. You know, like, I'm not a nautical expert, not by a long shot, but it seems pretty obvious to me that if you're sailing on a ship that has three masts and a storm comes that's so strong that it destroys all three of those masts, your chances of survival are pretty slim. Maybe you sink, maybe you starve. Either way, if you find yourself in that situation, death is likely. And yet, they survived. And here I am, alive, reading this. Uh, <laughs> when I read this the first time, I, I had this sense of smallness and fragility. And maybe you have a story like this. Maybe you or someone you love almost didn't make it, or you shouldn't have made it. Maybe you beat the doctor's prognosis, or maybe you walked away after an accident that should have taken your life, and there's no rational explanation for that. Maybe you made it through a season of darkness that you thought would never end. Any number of scenarios might come to your mind, but the point is this. These close calls and these near-death experiences serve as inflection points in our lives. They force us to reckon with how dependent we actually are. And there are opportunities to reconsider things, our lives, our priorities, our faith. And our psalm today is a poetic reflection on an experience just like this. David takes full advantage of this situation, and rather than minimizing it or rationalizing it, he allows it to renew and to reshape him. And you and I, as we come to this passage, we have the same opportunity. So, if I had to sum up what David is saying, and, and that's a bit of a barbaric thing to do to a piece of poetry, but I'll, I'll do it anyways. David's point is this. The Lord, the God who made heaven and earth, is our deliverer. The Lord, the God who made heaven and earth, is our deliverer. And David tells us two things about this reality. First, he tells us how we know it is true. And then, he tells us what must we do if it is. And so let's look together and see. In verse 1, David writes, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, David points to this experience in the life of Israel, but he doesn't give us a lot of details. We don't really know what point in the nation's history that he's referring to, because it could be many. But the important thing is that we see and we sense the desperation in his voice, the vulnerability that he feels in that moment. Because in the next few verses, 
he describes this reality of their situation using the metaphor of water. He's talking about being flailed about and overwhelmed by untamable waters, whether it be the sea or floods. And if you read it, these, these verses are punctuated with this repetition of then and then and then. Feels like this descent into the abyss, deeper, darker, and more devastating than you could even imagine. David says they would have been swallowed up. They would have been swept away. They would have been overtaken. David recognizes that their situation is so dire that destruction is the inevitable reality. Unless, unless the Lord is on their side. Unless God, in his power and grace, works on their behalf. And the purpose of David in this extended reflection, his purpose is to invite you and I to consider how the same God has worked in his same power and grace to deliver us. This is an opportunity to exercise our imaginations, to see the gracious power of God at work in our lives. To ask the question, if not for God's grace, what would be? And the fact that this song gives us an opportunity like this is a gift, and it's one that we're not often prone to see. Modern life insulates us constantly from the reality of our own frailty. Many times we go throughout our days feeling confident, invincible, feeling like nothing and no one can stop us. I mean, think about it. With the swipe of a finger on a screen, you can summon a car. You can summon food. You can request any number of different services. You can learn practically anything there is to know about the universe. Or you walk through a grocery store, and if you're like me, you rarely think about how that food came to sit on that shelf. How it takes plants and animals to grow, and, and how throughout human history, people seeking to provide food for themselves would have spent endless effort in planning and saving all of these things. It was a delicate and anxious balance, and yet I get frustrated if there's not ripe avocados, right? Many of the things that we feel entitled to past generations would have called magic. Now, I'm grateful for many of these innovations, but these experiences shape us, and we've got to be honest about that. These experiences feed a sense of control. They make us feel powerful and godlike. But here's the thing. No matter how tall these towers of modern reality get built up, it doesn't take much to reveal the cracks in its foundation. It could be a natural disaster or a pandemic, or it might be more personal, like a diagnosis, or, or like raising a child that you can't control and you don't know how to help. These experiences with actual reality, not our modern sense of reality, these experiences shake us to the core, and, and that sense of independence that starts to get built up falters. We feel frail. For David, this looming threat of an enemy shook him, but 
he invites Israel and us to have eyes to see how the Lord has been on our side. He recognizes that apart from God's gracious hand, the worst-case scenario is inevitable in every circumstance. Think about it. If God had not intervened when you lost your job, or you got in that accident, or when you were making those foolish decisions, the list goes on. But no matter the situation, each of us has a story where apart from God's grace, everything would have continued to spiral. And even in those darkest moments, David challenges us to consider what might have been if God was entirely entirely absent. You might not feel this is true, especially if if you're walking through it right now or if you've experienced deep loss. But, But this psalm is saying that even in the midst of all that pain and difficulty, here you are. No matter what state you're in, God has kept you. If not for his power working in love, every last experience would end in utter devastation. The raging waters would have gone over us entirely. One of the ways that God shows us his grace, one of the ways that God shows us that he is our deliverer, is by preserving us, allowing us to walk forward. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let all of us now say. David is inviting us to make this psalm our song and our prayer. And when we do that, the myth of our independence starts to shatter. We start to become humble. We begin to think much less of our power and our control and much more about the God who created heaven and earth by his power and his control. When we recognize this truth, I also think that it changes the way that we, we tell our stories of success, right? Because we begin to remember and speak more accurately about the ways that God has been our help, or, or that he's placed just the right people in our lives to help us. And we stop leaving those details out of our stories when we tell them, because we recognize that if not for God's grace in our lives, oh, what would be? Ultimately, this process draws our attention away from ourselves and up to God. We start to wonder, if this is true, what must we do? Well, a number of years ago, Bob Dylan wrote a song that sounds strangely like a lot of the language of our text. He wrote a song called, With God on Our Side. Before I continue, I will say that Pastor Dan told me I'm too young to use a Bob Dylan reference, and that is probably true. I only know like five of his songs, but this is one of the ones I know. So, anyway, he wrote this song with God on our side, and if you listen to it, it's this like seven minute long song where he's winding his way cynically through history. He's pointing out all those different moments where atrocities have been committed using this language as their justification. God's on our side. Now, I I believe that this passage is is teaching us the truth of that statement, that God in his grace and in his power is in fact on our side. But these critiques and others like it are well-earned. And for us, it reveals the weight and the gravity of responding properly to this reality. 
God's presence with us, God being on our side, it's not a blank check to justify whatever you desire. Instead, in the next verse, David shows us what we must do in light of this truth. He writes in verse 6, Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. And a few weeks ago, Pastor Aaron talked about this idea that we see all throughout the Psalms of blessing God. What does that mean? Well, he helpfully said that blessing God is this idea of bowing down to him in worship. It's not adding something to him, but it's giving him thanks for all that he already has done and all that he already is. That's what worship is. It's the proper response of humans to God. And that's what David is saying here. When you think about all that would be true if God had not stepped in, when you consider what God has done to deliver you, he has been on your side, but what else could we possibly do but bless him through our worship? We worship him when we, we give to him out of the abundance of all that he's already given to us, when we direct our attention and our affections and our resources to him. That's what David is saying we must do. A recognition of God's gracious power produces gratitude in our hearts, and, and we overflow with praise toward him and, and love of neighbor. And as the verse continues, David carries on the same theme from before, but, but this time he uses a different metaphor. Israel's state, he says, was like a bird caught in a snare, awaiting its doom. But the Lord has broken the snare. He has broken the snare and delivered them from certain death, and they have escaped. And I, I think this is a really important and beautiful metaphor because it underlines something that is crucial and needs to be named. Even with the reality that God is on our side, life in a fallen world still has its snares. These snares have their root in sin, and they wreak havoc. They work against God and, and against the goodness that he created the world to exude. And so the truth is that we have fallen into snares. Ones that were set by others, ones that we set ourselves, ones that were even set by the powers of darkness. We have been prey, but we've also been predators. No matter the source, we've all had damage and injuries caused by these traps. And even if we acknowledge that God has delivered us, we still bear wounds from these snares. You might even feel disoriented as, as we talk about God being on our side and rescuing us because you feel like you still limp. The deliverance is real. The worst case scenario might have been averted, but you still live with pain that has been caused. And so a question we have to ask is this. What hope is there when we feel like God's deliverance is unfinished? How do we respond to God being on our side when it feels complicated? I think we begin to see an answer when we look at how exactly it is God has freed us from the ultimate snare of sin. There's deep gospel realities present in this passage, and, and that's the key to any kind of hope that we might have in a world broken by sin. 
did God deliver us from that snare? Well, it wasn't because of our ability. And it wasn't because of our effort at righteousness. It's not because we thought our way out of it or innovated our way out of it. Because that's the thing about snares and traps. The harder you try to free yourself from it, the more entangled you become and the worse the situation grows. So for us, death was certain because of sin. Condemnation was guaranteed. But then Jesus entered the scene. The incarnate Son of God, and even though he was the only human who ever successfully avoided those snares of sin, he took that certain death. The death that we justly deserved, he took upon himself. Jesus did not escape. He endured for our sake the fowler's snare, the predator's teeth, the curse of sin. But then he rose again. And as Paul, in our New Testament reading, put it, he says he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. By faith, this sacrifice becomes our ultimate rescue, our ultimate hope. And so that we have to remember that the escape that is ours in the Lord has been won only through the sacrifice of Jesus. We remember the cost of our freedom. We will be fueled in our worship and in our devotion and our willingness to give him everything. Our hearts, our souls, our mind, our strength. But we don't just give him the good things. Part of our worship is also entrusting to him the difficult things, the wounds, the heartache, the disappointments. When we feel like life's too complex or like our deliverance is only partial, the path toward freedom is not to go back to the snares. It's when we look for help. When we look for help, we find that what the psalmist says is true. The Lord, the God who made heaven and earth, He is our deliverer. He is our help. He is on our side. He has been and He will continue to be. So church, when we know that, when we remember it, what else can we do but bless him and worship him forever? Let's pray. Father, you have been our help. You have delivered us from the domains of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved son. We thank you for this, Lord. We thank you that And we can look to you. Help us to remember that. Help us to be mindful of the ways you're already working in our lives. Help us to see and help us to bless you and worship you. We pray that you would do this in us by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.